Welcome to the Supreme Resort Land V World, a podcast about Disneyland and Walt Disney World and which resort is the Supreme Resort. We will argue the merits of every facet of each resort until we decide which is better. Each episode will discuss and compare a ride, show, attraction, hotel, or experience and its counterpart from each coast and decide a winner for each episode. I'm your host, Jimmy, and with me as always is Spectro Jeremy. Hello, what's happening? I'm ready for show two. Ready. <laughs> and I'm Dan. actually very nervous. Yes, hello. I am also ready for show. <laughs> well done. For show. Sure. <laughs> All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Get Coveyers. You can get cool stuff like coveyers and t-shirts like the famous turkey leg shirt that Dan is wearing. I am. You can't see it, but I'm wearing it. And we've already decided that coveyers are a way to not allow God to punish you for That's indecency. True. That's true. And these shirts are a way to uh, cover the other parts of you that are indecent. <laughs> Indeed. This episode is also brought to you by What You Talking About Brewery, a different, stro- different Strokes-themed brewery. This month's featured tap is Bicycle Shop Stout. Because the beer, like that episode, is dark. It gets real dark. <laughs> Jesus. Wait, uh, where, I don't know. Is that a, I, where is that brewery located? In our, it, the, yeah. In our collective brains. Yes. We're working on it. Yes. We got the business model. Oh, I really got. thought that was something that like Jason Santorum <laughs> It's adjacent to 20, 21st Amendment. But you can find it. Disneyland Resort. That's right. All right. A couple of notes from our last case about castles. Uh, the ADA was in effect in 1990, 35 still, years after. Are you still trying to win this? No, no, we lost. That's fine. <laughs> I know we can't. How for, I guess Walt wasn't as forward looking as we thought. <laughs> I didn't realize that uh, people would need to get in in wheelchairs. That's right. And uh, I think that's all we got. So today's episode. The Second Gate Spectaculars, Illuminations v. World of Color. The format for our show is follows as follows. First, the prosecution, the thing that came first, will make its case. Next, the defense, the thing that followed, will make its case. Then we will have a debate where the judge, in the case me, will determine whether the points of the debate have merit and will award a point. For today's episode, if Illumination gets a point, you'll hear this sound, <laughs> which is famously the end of the intro by Mr. Jim Cummings. It's Optimus the Prime blowing out the candles. Tony the Tiger fame. Tony the Tiger? No, that's not Tony the Tiger. <laughs> it is. Thor Ravenscroft. It, is he the new Tony the Tiger? He, maybe. He's, oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're right. Finally. it's uh, He's Tigger. He's Winnie <laughs> the Pooh. He's Optimus Prime. And he's... <laughs> <laughs> most famously known for <laughs> that's right you do that so well uh, and if world of color gets a point you'll hear this sound so we'll go back and forth and each party will get three objections for the judge to determine at the end of the debate the show slash spectacular with the most points wins for the prosecution jeremy yes We'll be arguing for Illuminations, and that's I'm assuming right. all versions of Illuminations. Okay. I, well, that's up to you. You don't have to. In I, the don't defense. Have all, I don't have all versions of World of, of Color lined up. Spoiler alert, Dan will be arguing for World of Color. Yeah. <laughs> or should we say the Illumination show that'll open a year from now will be World of Color East. <laughs> oh, God. I will be acting as judge me. for today's trial. Court is now in session. Counselor? Here we go. 
The current and fourth iteration of Illuminations, a show originally introduced in 1988, is Reflections of Earth and has been running since late 1999. Introduced as the centerpiece of Walt Disney World's Millennium Celebration, features an original score by Gavin Greenaway, which also, who also composed the Tapestry of Nations Parade and Celebrate the Future Hand in Hand Anthem, as well as the show's closer, We Go On. The show takes place in 360 degrees around the World Showcase Lagoon, which sits at the center of Epcot's World Showcase, surrounded by the park's 11 nations. It tells the story of the history of the universe and Earth itself through its elaborate 12-minute score, pyrotechnics, visuals displayed on the groundbreaking Earth globe, lasers, fountains, and a host of different lighting technologies. The music to Illuminations is arguably the show's star, unlike most nighttime spectaculars, which are basically a hodgepodge of unrelated short segments from various movies and other Disney properties or attractions that tell no overall message or share any common thread. Reflections of Earth is one cohesive piece of music made up of seven different, seven different movements that flow together seamlessly to tell the story. So rather than be left at the end with a bunch of immediate small impressions throughout a jumbled show that tells no story whatsoever. That sounds great. Yes, and <laughs> <laughs> you knew what I was going up against tonight. <laughs> Guests and Illuminations have been taken on a journey through history, looking at the possibilities of tomorrow along with one brilliant symphonic score. One of the most ingenious parts of Illuminations is Gavin Greenaway's use of different time signatures in the music to tell the story. The more common 4-4 and 3-4 time signatures, while present, do not dominate the music. He uses multiple different time signatures all together to create the effect and chaos section that shows um, in the show that describes the Big Bang. From 2-8 to 5-8 to 6-8 to the um, heightened 7-8, culminating in a time signature countdown that ends the sequence with a great explosion from the Inferno Barge. So you've really got a great combination of the music telling the story in tandem with the effects you're seeing in front of you. So let's... Question. Oh, yes, Jason. Er- <laughs> <laughs> it happened! Oh, uh, yeah, my question is as follows. Is that how, a how much of my childhood is reflected in this show? I, I do have a question. Um, okay. You were talking about a cohesive story. What would you say the story is? Oh, I, I, as I just explained, <laughs> it's the history and creation of the universe and then what we as humans do looking forward. Right. Okay. I was busy writing you know, mm-hmm. ways to rebut that. Mm. So. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Got to have your listening ears on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've been, I've been watching a little too much Judge Judy. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Okay, so let's get into a little bit of the technology of the show. Uh, It features, firstly, the Inferno Barge. The Inferno Barge weighs in at 150,000 pounds with an isopar system. An isopar is sort of like a a flammable substance, like kerosene, basically. It's filled with the isopar on board that sends balls of fire soaring up to 60 feet into the air and across the surface of the lagoon from 37 different nozzles. 400 U.S. gallons of isopar are used every night for the show, the heat from which can be felt by guests standing all the way along World Showcase Promenade. Even though they are at quite a safe distance, you can still feel that heat. 
The Inferno Barge also used to house an air launch fireworks system developed by Disney. The system uses an air pressure or nomadic launch system to power the pyrotechnics into the air instead of the traditional method of lighting black powder underneath the firework to get it airborne. The new technology allows for more precise timing of the fireworks and also reduces pollution. The air launch tubes were removed from the Inferno Barge as the heat was so great they kept melting. So they had to move them to other uh, other barges around the lagoon. I have a comment about the heat. Uh, go ahead. Um, it's Jimmy, by the way. Yes, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the point about the heat, I was – Is the judge the supposed to be – Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry. I watched the show from Morocco inside an air-conditioned restaurant through glass, hurricane-rated glass, and I could still feel the heat. No way. I could feel it. It was. I mean, it was a dramatic, but I could feel it. It's powerful. That's astounding. I also think you might have been just a little too close to the uh, chafing dish. <laughs> I was in the kitchen. Is that well? To be fair, I don't, that, that, that's not a, that's not a negative, right? I mean, that's. No, I was just commenting right, right, the, yeah. the technology and everything else. I just I was reiterating his point. Go ahead. Thank you. I appreciate you buttressing my argument. Much uh, appreciated. <laughs> uh, this judge doesn't seem very impartial. But, uh. <laughs> Sorry. Seven hundred and fifty mortar tubes are used to launch fireworks from thirty-four different positions around the lagoon, creating two thousand one hundred and twenty visible fireworks effects. During the holiday season, when Illuminations gets its holiday tag, two additional pyrotechnic barges are added to the show, producing an additional 818 visible effects. Fifteen perimeter firing firing locations have um, have fireworks launching right under the noses of guests watching from the shoreline three times throughout the show. Full-color laser systems are used not only to project images onto Spaceship Earth, but to create dazzling overhead displays as the lasers interact with water droplets and smoke in the air from the show. Additionally, mirrors are placed at various locations around the lagoon to double the laser's effects. Because the lasers are so powerful, FAA regulation requires the outdoor laser system advance permission prior to use. Each night, Epcot has to advise Orlando International Airport to get the go-ahead to proceed with the show and so that local air traffic can be advised accordingly. A ring of eight programmable searchlights called synchro lights is also positioned around World Showcase to further add. uh, And this was one of the first shows where they deliberately illuminated the smoke. They knew they had smoke going on over this lagoon. So they said, let's point different types of lights at it to create a really great visual effect. Four fountain barges sit in the center of the show, each with 40 nozzles and a full complement of lighting effects. Each barge can pump approximately 4,000 gallons of water per minute and carries additional pyrotechnic launchers as well. Surrounding World Showcase are 19 27-foot-tall gas-burning torches adorning the shoreline, each representing a century that has passed. Because remember, we're talking about this is from the Millennium Celebration. Earth Globe is the centerpiece of the show and is a revolutionary piece of equipment and an engineering marvel, the first ever spherical LED screen. It was based on an idea that had existed to cover Spaceship Earth and LCD TV panels around the millennium. Thankfully, that was scrapped, and instead we got Earth Globe. Instead we got Epcot. <laughs> and a big sign. Instead you got a First we got 2000. 2000. That's right. Then Epcot. All right. 
The globe symbolizes planet Earth itself. The globe is 28 feet in diameter and sits on a 10-foot floating stand. Altogether, this movable barge weighs 350 tons. The globe is composed of six equal sections that can open up like the petals of a flower to reveal the 20th torch of the show, the Unity Torch, which rises up from the center of the open globe. So it's not only a TV screen. It's not only a rotating globe. It's not only a a movable barge, but it has a torch that rises up from the middle that can also launch fireworks. That's a lot of systems happening all at once. It was built by Ride and Show Engineering and is made of four-inch steel plate. The globe is covered in 15,000 LED lights but also features strobe lighting and spotlights. In order for the sections of the globe to open up each night, it is powered by hydraulic motors that have over 650,000 pounds of force. Each night, the globe starts parked just off to the side of the American Adventure Pavilion. After the initial section of chaos and the show is over, the globe comes to light and life as its LED lights glow bright. And the entire globe begins to rotate while it is simultaneously driven by an onboard pilot to the center of the lagoon where it takes center stage for the remainder of the show. The barge features an infrared guidance system that allows the driver to steer the Colossus across the waters of World Showcase Lagoon in near total darkness. Once the globe is in position, the driver takes cover in the barge's onboard fireproof bunker to ride out the rest of the show. Initial s- Were you going to say something? I was. I, I want to just comment about where it parks. That's an expansion pad back there between uh, the Germany and China. And there's that little African outpost thing. That's an expansion pad for another potential country. There's a little yeah. lagoon back there. And yes. they're building a, 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 I think they're doing a drone show at some point in the future. Yeah. And they're building this big pad behind it. But it's amazing to watch. If you look at Epcot, from like Google Maps, there are so many expansion pads back there. It's really remarkable because everything looks so close together, but it's a lot of space. Right. And then Ratatouille took another expansion pad. But I, I digress. Go ahead, please. Oh, wait. Well, it is. I am happy that you brought that up because this is a bit of a coincidence, or maybe it's not. Um, when you because you mentioned that they store uh, all the pyrotechnic barges and the Earth globe when the show's not happening overnight, and that is in a lagoon that is adjacent to China, which just so happens to be the country that invented black powder, and fireworks. How neat is that? So appropriate. The initial section of chaos erupts with fire and pyrotechnics to Gavin Greenway's brilliant and chaotic score. Following chaos, a space section sees the lagoon calming with floating fireworks spread across the water, evoking the stars of the universe as the Earth globe floats its way to the center of the lagoon. In the next section, Life, the Earth globe displays trees, plants, flowers, and animals as they develop on the planet. As the section progresses, the fountains reduce to a single jet of water illuminated in red. This represents fire and the arrival of mankind. Adventure sees the human population growing and spreading across the globe, out from the caves of our early ancestors. Modes of transportation are seen, such as canoes and sailboats, reaching out across the the planet's oceans. Countries are formed as the world gets more orderly, and the nations of World Showcase are alight with thousands of white lights. As mankind develops, we see the faces of um, famous humans that made advances in science, art, literature, paintings, a symphony orchestra, the stained glass of a cathedral, the launch of the space shuttle, all displayed celebrating humankind's achievements. 
Finally, we see an astronaut turn away from us and look back. The astronaut is looking down on Earth, and we enter the section of the show called Home. We see Earth from the viewpoint of the astronaut, a home to all people. All the nations are again lit together as we enter Celebration. The score breaks into an upbeat section written in the lively 7-8 tempo time signature. Brilliant fireworks are launched from all over the lagoon, and the lights of the Nations of World Showcase twinkle along with the action on the water. We're completely surrounded in celebrating our home planet Earth and the achievements humankind has made together. Right here in a place where nations stand side by side, celebrating together in friendship. Finally, the third act, meaning. An entirely separate piece of music is used, and this is very deliberate that they had another piece of music called We Go On. Because um, up until now, the guests have seen where we've been and celebrated kind of where we are. But now, the show's designers want to convey that we stand at a threshold. This is the new millennium. Now, together, we look forward and create the future. The final song was also written by Gavin Greenaway and features familiar themes that have been played already. The song is sung by vocalist Kelly Coffey and is entitled, as I said, We Go On. During this moving finale, Earth Globe opens up to reveal the 20th torch, the passing of the 20th century, and thousands of brilliant white firework shells are launched into the sky. These were chosen not just because they look cool, but they're doing something very interesting here. They're lighting up the sky, and you'll notice what you see all around the lagoon, they're lighting up us, our faces. When you look out as that's happening, you see faces lit up all around the lagoon. And that's telling us, this is you now. We've been here, now where are you going to take the future? This is a huge, this is meaning. What, What theme park on this planet is giving people, this is almost a benediction, it's almost a charge to go into the world and make the future better. I mean, who's doing this? You know, this isn't Jack Sparrow and a bunch of fire. <laughs> this is real. That also sounds really cool. You know, I, I, I just want to stop you. I, I've seen the show countless numbers of times, and I've seen, I didn't really understand that it's like the Big Bang creation going into life, going into humanity, going into uh, humanity evolving, and then looking into the future. I didn't actually put that together for all the times I've seen it because hey that's exploding that's awesome I will say that I find all of that very interesting and I wonder how it's clear that a lot of thought and artfulness went into it and I'm not going to deny that but I do wonder how many of your average guests are engaging with it on that level yeah, I mean, if it's explained to you, it's it's really powerful. I just yeah, I, I did never get that, and that's partly I can't see very well. But yeah, that's really interesting. I like that a lot. I'm surprised that you didn't know all of this. I'm a very simple person. <laughs> there were there are explosions and lights in my face. What mm-hmm, else do you want? Mm-hmm. Well, all of that's nice too. Indeed. Um, I will finish. With some of the awards and honors that it has received, 12 straight Best Outdoor Night Production Show Golden Ticket Awards. Uh, Gavin Greenaway won an Emmy for the music he wrote as it was used by ABC in various TV spots throughout the last decade, including their 2000 U.S. election coverage and ABC's worldwide millennium coverage hosted by Peter Jennings. The music is also used in the welcome video titled Portraits of America at U.S. Customs and Immigration um, Sections and Airports and Other Ports of Entry. Um, and the show was uh, the music of the show. Well, the show really was used as the halftime show for Super Bowl Thirty Four. So, uh, wow, very popular, mm-hmm. yeah. seen outside mm-hmm. and inside of Epcot, and award winning. And it does and that. It does feel like a really good halftime show too. And now you'll be able to watch it from atop the 
Caribbean Beach's new tower, the Caribbean Beachy. What is it called? It's um, the Riviera. The Riviera. Oh, the a, Riviera. Yeah, you'll be able to watch it from the top of that. Well, is it going to be? Will that be open before the last performance? I don't know. We'll have to find out. Because September thirtieth, Illuminations right. will finally, after uh, what thirty-one years, will bow out at Epcot to make way for World of Color East. I have a question about the uh, the globe and all when it's showing all the the canoes and the progress and all that stuff. Uh, that's in the middle of the lagoon, is that correct? Yes. And how big is the lagoon? Uh, Twenty-one thousand one hundred and twenty square feet. Okay. So you could put Disneyland inside the lake. So you're watching this globe. Say I'm like I'm looking at the partner statue from the Tomorrowland train station. That's how far away it is. I don't know the distance from the partner statue to the Tomorrowland train station. Right. I'm not talking exactly, but I guess my point is that that I I don't know that everyone's able to see the uh, the actual content that's on the globe. It sounds to be that that's correct based on a, a friend. Jimmy's feedback <laughs> from a little while ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You so you can fit Disneyland inside of that lake. It's so big. I know. I don't. I mean, I don't know what that means. That square footage, but I do know that um, the circumference of World Showcase is about one point one miles. Correct. I think it's one point one. Yeah. And how many uh, White Houses is that? Uh, Thirty six. <laughs> Thirty six White Houses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what we call okay. in the showbiz a callback. <laughs> <laughs> it's only about four feet deep, that lagoon, though. Really? Oh, I wasn't aware yeah, of that. it's not that deep. Interesting. Yes. So then all of the mortar tubes that they have to painstakingly fill, they can basically do uh, at waist height then. Well, they do it from a boat. Yeah, right, I don't think they get right. in the water and I'm walk just saying, with mortars. I'm just pointing out that someone does need to fill those mortar tubes, which is tedious well, Backbreaking work. Yes, it is tedious. I appreciate that they do all of that just so we can have the spectacular. They do most of the mortar. I believe they fill most of those behind the scenes before they tow them out, though. What do you know the Do you know the cost of the show nightly? Oh, you know what? I did. I want to say that it was forty thousand. Um, hold on. That's consistent with that. Disneyland's fireworks, like forty thousand dollars a night. I could um, I could maybe find that and bring it up in the next section while Dan gets started. All right. Sounds good. So the prosecution rests. The prosecution rests and types feverishly. <laughs> All right. 25,000. 25,000. That's impressive. Okay. Right. For the defense, World of Color. Okay. So World of Color is uh, named after the TV show. It used to be Disneyland back when... Walt Disney was building uh, support for the park known as Disneyland. Uh, that show became a few other things, and then it eventually became World of Color, and then it became what we know today as the wonderful world of Disney. This is the same show format where we would be greeted by Michael Eisner, and then wacky things would happen. Uh, it is essentially a machine play, so is uh, – I almost said interventions – Illuminations. Uh, machine play is a fun thing to look up and have as a reference. Uh, it can sound really pretentious like I do. Uh, it's basically what it sounds like. It's where the spectacle is essentially the point. It's some people dealing with that, uh, Robert Wilson, someone who does that. But again, I'm just 
sounding like a snob. It was conceived by uh, Vice President. Oh, the Robert Wilson. Yes. <laughs> he worked with Philip Glass. <laughs> it was conceived by Vice President of Parades and Spectaculars, Steve Davison. Fun fact, this is also the guy behind Light and Magic. So success story. It's a Cinderella story, if you will. Point. What's up? He had his hands involved in uh, Reflections of Look, Earth as well. He, he, <laughs> he, I'm just saying this is a person who served his time for light magic and he came back with World of Color, which is superior. Um, it was conceived as a kind of living fantasia. I'm quoting the Disneyland News website here. Kind of living fantasia using music, animation, color, light, and water to involve the audience in an exciting, whimsical, and moving journey of storytelling. This was all the more moving and uh, whimsical because everything was happening not like a million miles away from the audience. Um, July 2005 was the concept launch and it – The soaked audience? Well, they know that they're going to get wet because of the, the, uh, the notice at the beginning. I would say it's part of the fun, part of the immersive nature of it. Getting immersed in the water. Right. And you're getting the world of color all over you. You just love the, the gift of going to the cleaners the next day. You just can't pay for that. Look, you don't have to go to the cleaners. And why are you wearing clothes <laughs> that you, you have to <laughs> go to the cleaners for at a theme park? Uh, it took about five years to get the whole thing together, roughly 15 months to build it. They, by they, I mean uh, Disney Imagineering always wanted something with air quotes in the pier. They weren't sure if it was going to be a ride or a, some sort of a f- nighttime spectacular like this ended up being. Part of what they really liked about it is that it seemed impossible to them to make a water show interesting, to make it engaging, to build all of the components mainly from scratch. And uh, basically a lot of the people <laughs> above them were saying, this is impossible. And the Imaginers said, yeah, that's why we like it. Um, it was promoted as part of night. Fantastic, which was also when we found the return of Captain EO, fun fact. Um, it involves lots and lots of fountains. Um, the numbers I'm seeing are anywhere between almost 1,200 to 1,800. Um, more than 18,000 points of control are involved. Each fountain has its own pump. Five have an additional pump to give it an extra boost so that it can shoot water up to 200 feet in the air, that is 1.2 White Houses. Um, each fountain is equipped with an LED ring, uh, three colors, your basic RGB. They saturate the entire column. Each one has a variety of heads that can be switched out so it can be – I can't think of the, the term here. The, 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 the thing that's like spread out or it can be shooting up in the air. It can – there's a lot of different things that it can do. Uh, the entire thing is built for a lot of variety, a lot of interchangeability. There's also isopar instruments that are capable of shooting flames up to 50 feet in the air. Um, not sure how many White Houses that is. It's like half a White House. Uh, the fire is, quote, randomly placed. That quote is from Davison. It doesn't look randomly placed, but he says it is. Um, there are 36 fire cannons, some mounted on swivels. They call them fire movers. There are water whips, dual water whips, mist screens, fireballs. Uh, it has a 380 by 50 foot uh, long mist screen that can be as big as that or smaller depending on what they need. doesn't say anything about there being a mist screen in front of that uh, array of mist screens. But from what I'm seeing on the YouTube videos and in person, it does appear to be the case. Could be wrong about that. 
regardless, that very long mist screen in the back is two and one third White Houses long. Uh, there are 38 high definition projectors. 14 of them are submersible and they got fog. They got lasers and all sorts of fun stuff like projection domes that are telescopic, which include lighting effects and video that can be projected inside the domes. If you're listening to this and you, and you don't know about ears up podcast and you don't know about white house measurements, check out ears up on the ears up podcast network. <laughs> also, uh, I want to point out a couple of interesting things. Uh, ABC as a network was struggling. There were at the time, there were only three networks, right? In the fifties. Right. And ABC was distant third. So they're desperate for content. Mm-hmm. Walt Disney's desperate mm-hmm. for money. So they go and pitch, the idea for Disneyland to ABC and ABC gives them a bunch of money to fund the park in part. And in exchange, they have a one uh, weekly special where uncle Walt would come on and promote his park. So he's right. marketing the park and getting paid for it. Ultimately they're getting content. He's getting money. So that was really interesting origin of, of the ABC relationship. And then later, of course, Disney famously owns ABC's in the cap cities deal and everything uh, else. And everything else, and which I'm sure we'll get to. <laughs> and might. the the other thing I want to comment, and maybe we can wait till after. It seems to me that World of Color is just Fantasmic Plus without right. animatronics and actors and things that you have to like restructure. I would say it's both Fantasmic Plus and Fantasmic Minus, and. I'll get into why I think those are good things. Okay, that's fine. Continue. Um, so we got laser. Basically, what I'm setting out here is this thing is a beast that can be adapted to whatever ideas get you want to put into it. You can change it essentially at a moment's notice, uh, which I'm presenting this as a tool, a presentation tool. It is – if not perfect, it is nearly perfect. And what I'm going to be presenting is certain – a very specific show that some people don't like that I think actually shows exactly how powerful this machine is. Um, so you got laser and video projectors uh, projections uh, that are on the sun icon behind the Incredicoaster's vertical loop uh, and the Wheel of Death. There is a 65-foot-tall telescopic mask mast that um, they want to turn to Chernabog, by, also by the Death Wheel, that has not been used. It's just ready to go. The LED lights on the Pixar Pal around, as well as LED lights, lights installed on the Cret- Credit Coaster, are synchronized to the show. Uh, this was really uh, displayed in the Tron uh, Encore that happened several years ago. Light trees rise from boxes bordering Pixar Pier. They have speakers, bubble machines, infrared transmitters, handful of very light lighting fixtures. Two additional light trees with five synchro light fixtures are on each side of the the lagoon facing the show. 4,000 spectators at full capacity. That is not, I grant, as many people as can watch this uh, inferior show, but it is... Still a large number. Hidden fountains located in the flower beds in the viewing area um, were replaced by smoke shooters and additional shooters on the edge of the viewing area uh, were put by the water and they each have an LED light ring just like the fountains. So they can they can be any color. 
hence World of Color. I'm going to ask if Jeremy is aware of the total capacity for illuminations because you've got a mile of walkway. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know. I'm not sure if they calculate that. I think it's park capacity. Right. It's it probably kind of almost has to be, right? right? Yeah. And then you can view from my favorite spot, which is the, atop the staircase in Canada. That's a perfect spot to watch it for. Yes. I agree. That's a great spot. Continue, Dan. Yes. So I think that having less capacity is sort of baked into the differences between Disney World and uh, Disneyland. Um, however, it, it is worth noting. A uh, large scrim shaped like Mickey's head gets uh, pulled over the, um, the, the, the wheel of death um, to do projections. When it's too windy, they do have the projections over on uh, what used to be called Screamin's Loop uh, instead. Are they doing that? Isn't, wasn't that only part of Celebrate? Haven't they gotten rid of that scrim for the, now that it's gone back to the original show? I really don't know. But the the capability exists is the point. Got it. Question for Jeremy: uh, How many Neil Patrick Harris appearances are there in Illuminations? <laughs> uh, thank you. Very thankfully, zero. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, the water fountains are built along a very very large platform that is uh, that was built in the uh, what is there a, I should know the official name of the body of water there is there an official name it's not coming to me right now in in Florida no 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 and uh, at California Adventure the Paradise Bay Water Lake place I think it's Paradise Pier Paradise Lake Lake or was it's Paradise Lake I'll get back um, to you on that okay uh it's about an, the platform is about an acre in size that is uh, longer than a football field. It's Paradise Bay. Sorry, Paradise Bay. Thank you. It is made out of structural fiberglass. Uh, most of the sections it has individual sections. Uh, there's there's three sections that can uh, go up and down individually depending on what's needed. Um, the way the way that they move up and down are with several different flotation tanks. There's one system that is a, pla- a passive flotation tank um, that basically provides a neutral buoyancy. Uh, and the size of those depends on you know the load of the, of the individual section of platform. And there are active flotations, which raise and lower each individual, in each individual section. And each individual section can be raised and lowered individually. It takes about 10 minutes for the pieces to fully rise or lower. Uh, the entire system is designed to adapt to changing water levels and basically make it so that we make this thing now so that we can fix it as it needs to be fixed. There are three levels that it can go up to. There's a maintenance level where the whole entire grid is above water. There's the show level where only the show elements are above water. And then there's the submerged where everything's underwater. Um, each platform piece has a submarine utility box below the platform uh, where they house power, air, and logic controls for all the units in the section of the table. So there's a submarine hatch on the platform which uh, protects all the, all the controls so that when they need to get into it, they just you know undo the submarine hatch and there you go. You can, you can access everything as you need to access it. It was $75 million to design, manufacture, and build. That is nearly 22 White Houses in cost. It opened on Friday, June 11th, 2010. And 
basically it's all designed for maximum interchangeability. You just got to change the programming. It's completely nonlinear. There are segments to the show that you can put in that you can take out. There throughout the years, there was a Tron Legacy segment uh, that was on at the end as a as an encore. They extended the Pirates of the Caribbean section for uh, the, one of the Pirates movies that I should have put in my notes. That was switched to Brave almost immediately when Brave came out. They don't have fireworks in the show, um, but they did add fireworks for the 4th of July because, again, these are all just components. You just add them in. You tell the computer, go do that, and it does it. Uh, they had a Lunar New, New Year uh, pre-show, and uh, they had – some company called Blizzard. I think they're a video game company. Uh, they hosted a Christmas party there where they um, inserted a lot of their video game stuff into the show. Um, there have been several different shows. Do either of you have anything to add to us so far? Yeah, you're doing a wonderful job. Thank you. You're doing a great job. It's a very adaptable show. It sounds like an incredibly adaptable show. Yes. I wonder, um, you mentioned that they can add fireworks. Yes. Does it take any time to put those fireworks into the shells, right? The, into the mortar tubes? It does, but they don't have to do it for every single show because one thing that you don't have to load into mortars is water. Oh, but if there are pyrotechnic, if there are fireworks, if you have there to are, load but them. there were only pyrotechnics for that one time because there can be. What I'm so there aren't usually fireworks. There aren't usually fireworks, but it is not a fireworks show. Got it. Thank it you. It is not a glorified fireworks show. Unlike some other things, which may or may not be. Do you have any notes on the famous closure of said world of color? What do you mean? Meaning it shut down for a while because it broke and they couldn't fix it uh, for a little bit? I do not because looking up some a degree of failure would not help my case, so I'm not going to do that. I have notes on that. I figured you might. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, anyway, there have been uh, several different iterations of World of Color. There's the original... Um, and I agree with the points that were made that there is no clear narrative. There is no central character. Um, and I would argue that that is on purpose and that is a feature, not a flaw. It instead presents a series of experiences, a series of, of scenes, a series of memories that evoke strong emotions and it presents a, an abstraction of an emotional arc and evolution uh, of – these emotions without a central theme, which is incredibly skillful. Uh, the original has a mix of popular Disney and Pixar uh, elements with more obscure things like uh, Fantasia 2000 material and uh, Little April Shower with the Old Mill, which was an Academy Award winning short, everybody. The original is sort of front loaded with Pixar and Eisner uh, material, but it unfolds what the show can do very subtly and then leads you into what I think is a brilliant display of just spectacularness. It is a nighttime spectacular that is just a pure nighttime spectacular. And in my opinion, I feel like that is a superior product. There have been winter dreams, not only in the minds of children, but also in World of Color. Uh, there is a 2013 version, which featured a whole lot of Olaf. Uh, 2014 version and a 2016 hey, version. <laughs> I'm Oba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh Gad. Um, then the one show that I feel 
really captures everything that World of Color can do with great skill is World of Color Celebrate, the wonderful world of Walt Disney. And I know it's Jeremy's favorite. He has spoken at length about how much he adores your friend and host, Mickey Mouse and Neil Patrick Harris. It was uh, created for Disneyland's 60th anniversary. It was directed by Steve Davison, the original person himself. It took three years to develop this thing. It was hosted uh, by Neil Patrick Harris and Mickey Mouse. It featured paper animation by Megan Brain. I would imagine that's the only place that I can think that paper, man- paper animation would go. Uh, and music, the ori- what music is original was uh, composed by John Dedney. I think he's very talented, and I actually do like the music um, that I do like the music of World of Color celebrate. Um, I think this. I think what what they attempted to do is try to create a story by having someone narrate to me mm-hmm. step by mm-hmm. step with spoon feed me an entire story. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I'm enjoying the music, it gets interrupted, and so I would like more of the music and less of the vocals. Okay. Um- Dan, what is paper animation? What does that mean? And from what I can tell, it's actually uh, so. I believe what is referenced here is the part that people seem to like the least of this show, which is what I call the uh, Disneyland sing along section. Um, it features, I think, they are computerized version, uh, computerized versions of paper animation. Uh, versions of, oh, say, the uh, It's a Small World clock tower moving back and forth whimsically. Um, and I realize, I realize that people have issues with these things. And I would argue that everything about the Celebrate show is entirely on purpose and entirely in the service of telling us all that Disney owns our childhood – that they won and that we like it (laughs) and they are going to push us down on the ground and we will like it we will love it we will enjoy it we will ask them for more and lisa may i have some more no this is it this is mickey mouse and the entire walt disney company saying coming up to you and saying they, they they open with hey i'm neil patrick harris this is mickey mouse here's some whimsical stuff involving Walt Disney's lifetime and achievements and the creation of Mickey Mouse and how great that is and that the, there's the, the the it all started with the mouse right and it, the, here's the creation of of Mickey Mouse and his career and it's 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 so cute it's so it's so so uh, unassuming we're we're everyone everything is so unassuming here and it all it all culminates into the Sorcerer's Apprentice where it all falls apart we see the full the full uh, power of this fully operational uh, space station that is World of Color. And all the fountains come up and all the projections go and all the lights are flying around. We see we, – we feel like we're floating through the, 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 the water and the magic with our friend and host, Mickey Mouse. Yes, Jimmy? I'm afraid – this space station will be quite operational when your friends arrive. Sorry, it's, it's Jeremy, from that's from Wars. Star Wars. Sorry. Yeah, I have no idea My what you're referencing. Including our co-host. I, I forgot that that was even a thing. Um, so it's, each of these sections has this push and pull uh, feel to it where it starts off. 
very unassuming, very gentle, and then it pushes you into this this place where it's like, yes, we are winning. We're Disney. You love it. We are your corporate overlords. We own your childhood. We own your nostalgia. And you wanted us to win, and we did. And this whole show is a victory lap for them. And this is what defines a good show to you. Yes. What you're describing is what you look for in a, in a nighttime spectacular. No fireworks and lots of bragging. Absolutely. It's nighttime. It's spectacular. I don't care about fireworks. Fireworks are are the old technology. This is this is the new, this is the new technology. This is the new super machine that's going to tell you that you love it. All right. It. So, uh, have you made your case, Dan? Does the defense rest so we get to the debate or are we already there? Well, seeing as how we're almost out of time. Okay. So, <laughs> I, here's more. what I'm going to say, guys. It's just there's uh, more. Uh, okay, go ahead. So, basically, uh, I know that a lot so the show goes on and we get into what people what I like to call the Disneyland sing-along section which I understand people have issues with. My my point or my uh, argument is that that is entirely on purpose. If if the entire show was just overwhelming you with we won, we have Star Wars, we have Marvel, we own your childhood, it wouldn't be a good show. It wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be pleasant. But they do this back and forth thing where it's like, hey, here's paper cutouts that look kind of cheap and kind of stupid. And then all of a sudden we go to the Star Tours segment, which leads us to the Star Wars segment, which leads us to the realization that, oh, my God, Disney owns Star Wars. And then later on, they put a little hint of the Captain America shield on the fun wheel in yet another finale. There's like three finales in this thing. And they this whole show serves to make you bow down to your new, your new corporate overlords who you love because you bought admission. All right. Well, points well taken both. I, I, I want to say my opening statement here is that Disney does spectaculars very well with the exception of Rivers of Light. Disney spectaculars <laughs> are usually really good, right? There's a lot of technology. There's a lot of money and investment that goes into it. And I am fully impartial to this to this discussion i think both have the same both have equal merit and i think jeremy is talking specifically about illuminations reflections of earth right and dan is specifically talking about world of color celebrate the history of disneyland or whatever right well i'm so i'm ultimately talking about world of color as an adaptable thing but if we're going to pick one show then yes i'm going to use that one well i'll leave it up to you Either way, we're going to decide the second gate spectacular winner. So that being said, as an impartial judge, I'm going to go ahead and let you point counterpoint with each other, and I will decide whether or not that point is valid, and then we will give our scores and our chimes. Mm -hmm. So, Jeremy, you go first. Dan, how many other attractions need to close in order for them to put on World of Color every night that you are prevented from going on? Well, seeing as how uh, California Adventure is a half a day park and you've already gone on those rides, I don't see why it matters that uh, probably about five, if not more. Okay. So I have less of an experience because if I did not get a fast pass for this show, I didn't know to get a fast pass for this show, I go and try to watch it. I can't watch it. And so my only alternative is to go on rides and five of them are closed. Did you just say you were impartial? No, I'm just asking a question. 
Well, yeah, but but so that that's so versus illuminations where n- vir- no nothing closes, and in fact, it's what closes the park. Right. But how many rides are in Epcot? About five, <laughs> but they all stay open. Right, but yeah, that's fine. I'm it's I'm going to go with the experience. Show. My experience as a theme park guest, I can not only enjoy all attractions for the entire day, but I can also enjoy that show because it closes the park and nothing else is open. So I can enjoy that. That is a fuller experience. Point in favor of illuminations. I would say yeah. I would say that the guests the guests not able to ride the uh, roller coaster that they didn't think to repaint um, that it's a sacrifice that they're making for the greater good of a better show. Uh, <laughs> was that a counterpoint? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> Jeremy, you said that the Earth Globe Earth Globe was groundbreaking. When was it made? And it was constructed in the years leading up to 1999. So it was uh, conceived in 1996 and then they built it so that it was ready. And it was finally assembled in June of 1999 on site at Epcot. Right. So by groundbreaking by like that standard then, right? Groundbreaking in the sense, yes. And And I don't see often see a spherical LED screen anywhere else even today. Well, yeah, I mean, they. Bet, I still don't see it today. Bet, better technology has, has come along <laughs> since, again, it's not the most effective way of having the entire audience view what they want to view in this storyline that apparently exists. Whereas a World of Color has this giant mist screen that they can just say, here, here's what we want you to see. What is the point of having high-definition video projected onto falling water that looks fuzzy no matter what? Well, it's, uh, it's counteracted artistically by uh, what they do with the lights around the water. I mean, it's an entire it's – a, it's, a, it's a full picture. I mean, it's, it is not – just like the Earth Globe, it is not like the final technology of this thing. But it is an advancement. It sounds like we're having a technology argument, and I would say at the time when Illuminations was built, it was technologically advanced of its time. It's still neat, and it's still groundbreaking for what it is, and World of Color is technologically remarkable today, and that you kind of have to have high-definition animation if you're going to have falling water screens. So I have to say that Illumination just feels older to me it Mm -hmm. feels kind Mm -hmm. of a little dated whereas world of color can constantly be at the cutting edge if i wanted to do a new show tomorrow i could in theory so the experience for disneyland guests who are mostly local kind of has to be energy it has to be constantly changing and moving because those what 70 percent or something like that of disneyland guests are from california the world's most famous regional theme park so you I don't think you could do that. You couldn't do an Illuminations 30 years of the same show at Disneyland because the guests just wouldn't have it, right? But if we're having a technology argument, I have to say that the technology and the adaptability of World of Color, I would give that a point. Okay. Okay. Hold on. And I haven't... I love hearing it. I haven't used any objections yet, but I do want to object to one thing. Uh, Illuminations is boring. 
Wow. Speculative. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I think Illuminations is it – is it is a beautiful show. It is – it operates as a museum piece in a sense. It A lot of – you know, it's artfully done. The, you talk about time signatures and the composition and all that stuff. I, I don't think – <laughs> that that works against it, and I don't think that that's what World of Color is trying trying to do. World of Interventions is very much of its time, and sorry, Illuminations. Illuminations. I knew that would happen. And Interventions, too, by the <laughs> they're way. both they're both very much of their time. And if you watch them, if you if you watch uh, Illuminations with '90s eyes, it is it is everything you want it to be. But all of this for all of this stuff about the new millennium. We live in the new millennium right now. It, it, it's, it's not the best. It's not great. And I'm not saying that we need to get rid of that hope. I'm just saying that watching Illuminations with 2019 eyes is – it's difficult. It makes it – Are you suggesting that we MEGA make Illuminations great again? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that. I, I – it – Everything that it was aspiring to do seems to have not happened. It seems to be the vision of hope that we we might need to revise. Well, yes. So it works only at Disney World because it's a a once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-every-few-years experience. And for most people, going to see it and then going to see it again, it's still a a powerful show. But your, your objection is overruled. It's not a boring show. No, I was, I was a, quite that was a joke. And, yeah, and I would have to say, well, uh, two things to sort of come back at that is, one, um, clocking it at over 29 minutes, I would be lying if I said I never looked at my watch during some parts, parts of World of Color. Sometimes it's like, all right, we don't need two songs from Aladdin and two songs from Little Mermaid. Like, let's speed this up. It, you know, there's a, there is something to brevity. Um, I think it's one of the longest nighttime spectaculars there is. Right. Um, and the other piece that I would say, actually, I already lost my train of thought on the second piece, so go ahead, Dan. <laughs> well, I would actually say that, that the longer runtime does allow for that ebb and flow of, like, here's something big, and then here's something slow to recover from that, and then here's something bigger, and then here's something slow again, and then here's the finale. Why wouldn't you give that credit to Illuminations where it gets a little quieter in the middle? So that it can come back. Because all you're doing at Wouldn't that... Wouldn't you have to seed that, that that's what they're doing? No, I, I agree. But all you're doing at that point is watching this weird sentient globe that you can barely see, like, meander its way to the center of the uh, lagoon. I th- so the other piece on Illuminations, and you because you were talking kind of about the Millennium, is that, um, yes, it was designed for the Millennium celebration. A Millennium is a thousand years, so we're just... We haven't really scratched the surface of this, so right, I think right. for it to last for the first twenty nineteen years of the millennium isn't such a big deal. Right. Um, and also those themes, I think the themes of the millennium celebration tie back to what the themes of what Epcot is anyway. So absent the millennium celebration, I think it still works for where it is and tells the story. You know, you've spent all day looking at you know, new technologies that people are developing, mm-hmm. world well, cultures coming together. Mm-hmm, I mean, this is mm-hmm. what the this is what the park does, and so this kind of at the end of the day wraps it up in a bow and says, "Here's what you know. Here was what we just did without being a victory lap." I agree that that it definitely does that for what the park was and what it was conceived to be, 
but we also are dealing with a frozen overlay on what used to be and and I'd like to I'd like to to elaborate on that. And and this is about IP versus not IP. It's illuminations being an independent, well thought out, well structured story without any Disney characters and 30 something years later still going strong and there's merchandise for it going away, right? And to Dan's point Illuminations in Epcot of 30 years ago makes perfect sense. But Absolutely. Epcot of today that's lost its identity, it doesn't have any – there's no, nothing of tomorrow. It's it's all IP. And, so, and the new show is going to be IP. And then the next iteration is going to be Epcot Forever, which is just going to be Epcot IP, right? Well, I'm not sure that – I mean – the the amount of new technologies that are there has certainly diminished, but I'm not sure that you could say that that's not what's still happening in the park. When you look, there's still research being done in Living with the Land. They actually just updated that ride with yeah, videos. I just did it. Yeah. Like there is, uh, there are things happening. They have the test the um, at the end of Spaceship Earth, which is about to get its own um, complete overhaul, which has pretty much stayed updated. It's only uh, that version of the ride's 11 years old and it's already ready for its next version with the test center at the end of all the new technologies that Siemens was putting out. So, like, yeah, do I think it's lost a little bit? Have they put more IP in? Yes. But ultimately, the park is about celebrating humanity and its advancements. And, like, it still is that. Yeah. You have there are a couple of examples, but I don't know that it still is, and I don't think it will be in five years. I think anyway. So the point I wanted to make about intellectual property in general was there's so much outrage and backlash with Disney and these IPs. And if you remember when Disneyland opened, everything was IP that they could put in. Right? There's a quote uh, from a biographer, Michael Barrier. He wrote. Wherever possible, Disney linked an attraction to a film, especially an animated film. This has been going on since day one. Then they just ran out of ideas, and so they started getting creative with Imagineering. But the Disney parks today and moving forward is going to be all IP. I think Intervention <laughs> Illuminations <laughs> – I'm not intending to do that. Illuminations, I think it, it, it clearly has the best of intentions. It clearly has – a vision that is that is beautiful and fantastic and all of these things and i would argue that if it were as adaptable and updated and cutting edge as world of color has stroven if that's a word to be i mean that's the entire point of world of color is we're going to create this thing that we can constantly update and i think that if they had done that with illuminations I would be on the same side as Jeremy with with this argument. I think they will. Uh, it's I'm fine, a- but do you have to also remember that ultimately story is what wins out. If you talk to an Imagineer, the show is not about the technology. Right. The show is about the story and what technology best tells that story. Right. And So you don't go there to see – if you want to go see Moving Fountains, you can go to the Bellagio. Well, yeah. Like it's all about the story and – I don't think that uh, I don't think that there is a good cohesive story, and this is the other point that I would like to make: is I can see a mishmash fountain show 
in Disneyland Paris, Shanghai Disney, Fantasmic. Like, there are a lot of shows that kind of achieve what World of Color does. Right. Are there nuances to World of Color? Absolutely. But you cannot find Illuminations, a story like Illuminations or a nighttime show like Illuminations in any other Disney park and perhaps any other park in the world. So it's easily duplicated. I mean, if I miss, if I miss World of Color, I'm like, eh, I'll go see Fantasmic. I don't care. But if I miss Illuminations, what am I going to do? Well, right. And I, I agree with you with that. I, th- I think that, that Illuminations is – there's no other park that it could work in. And I don't think that Epcot is still that park. Right. So I'm going to give a point to Illuminations for its its unique nature and its its revolutionary storytelling from a show perspective. I'll give a point for that. I think with with World of Color, I, it's it's just – I'm giving it a point for adaptability and and what it can do for multiple different kinds of guests, but from a total complete experience and and a total park experience, like everyone in the park can watch and experience illuminations at the same time. And that's a shared experience that you don't get as much with World of Color. So we're we're currently tied at two. So the point I actually the set, you kind of just made it. Um, I have a few. Um, but one of the points I wanted to make was how easy is it to view World of Color if you don't have a fast pass versus y- you can wander up to any country in World Showcase and see illuminations pretty easily. Right. Um, but again, this is sort of the nature of the beasts that we're talking about. Um, I can't I can't argue that a smaller park has better viewability. And I don't know that that is something that I, – I, it's just it's a it's a given if you do anything at a at a Disney any of the any of the many Disneyland parks, you are going to be faced with this problem. But as, right, but as, we're trying to decide which is better, so right, we have right. to. But as so, a show, isn't itself, it better that you can see it? Right, but as a show itself, as as the actual presentation, World of Color also I think benefits from the smaller, more intimate uh, audience. And it's something that you're already used to by the end of the day in this particular Disney park. Everything's smaller. Everything has a smaller viewing area. So it's not necessarily a shock or it shouldn't be that you, you need to plan ahead for this. That's how you, you deal with the entire park. So And like we talked about before, it's all locals, right? So they kind of already know. But doesn't that make it not as good? I don't. I think it makes it less convenient. But I don't know that it makes the show itself not as good. So I want to talk about use of space because we're going to talk a lot about this on this show about size. And in fact, when we talked about the castles, the fact that Cinderella Castle was so grand and massive, it sort of mirrors the size of the park. So it got a point because of that. Whereas Disneyland, its value, because it's so small and it's not getting any bigger, the use of the space that they have, mm-hmm. and you think about World of Color as an example of this, they have finite amount of space that they could have put a ride and they could have put something that made them money. They chose to create an experience and in a very efficient way in that space. And and there's so much unwasted space at Disneyland because they don't have room. Whereas if you go to Disney World, look at the Odyssey Center at Epcot or just, I mean, miles of just nothingness because they just have space to kill, right? So I think I would award a point for World of Color just for efficiency and capability it because of the size restrictions. Well, and part of the part of the adaptability arg- argument works to that end too because you don't have to deal with 
it basically you you can close things down at the, at the latest time possible and you get those th- those fountains out of the water and you start the show um yeah it's a smaller park i want to pick up on that use of space and adaptability because i actually think that there is a downside to that so for example when world of color is broken for 10 months what does that do to the visuals and what you see in the rest of the park? Because they have to repair it above the water on site, and there's no real way to disguise that. That is that's a fair point. Yeah, I think that that's a that is a point for the overall resort. I don't think it's a point in this subject of the experience. So I get the point, Jeremy, well taken, and I think that that gives Disney World a point in its favor in, in theory. Um, but keeping on the subject, I want to talk about emotion because we're running out of time. Right now, we have a, a tie game. It's anybody's victory. Mm-hmm. And I, wanna, I want to talk about... I've seen Illuminations with Jeremy, and I've seen World of Color with Dan. Mm. And there's a lot of emotion. We've already talked about it. But I kind of want to talk about emotional impact of the audience here. Because everybody who goes to a Disney park is probably a Disney parks fan. But maybe not. So the the world of color argument of, of that's my childhood. You're you're <laughs> shoving in my face, and please shove some more. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk. I want you each to kind of have a quote unquote closing argument about the emotional impact for the general audience of this show. So I'll start with Jeremy. I don't know. I wasn't prepared to. That's not a question I was prepared to answer. <laughs> I, I've seen this show with both. I've seen. I saw Illuminations with you, and you've seen it multiple times. And the emotion that evoked in you after the umpteenth time you've seen it was really powerful. And the similar thing with Dan. So I'm curious if you can make an emotional argument or do we keep it objective? I don't want to sound like I'm being harsher than I need to be on Illuminations. But I get that there's an emotional um, – there's a storyline there and there's an emotional buy-in. Um, but it requires you to – be paying so much attention and possibly know what that is ahead of time and it also requires that you have a good view of the the sentient ball it there's there's so many variables that i don't know that everybody is able to latch on to the emotional content world of color it's very simple it's just an abstraction of an emotional arc and that's that's that is baked in that that's that is that's a feature not a flaw it's an it's an abstraction of basically the emotional arc of a disney story where they can plug in whatever they need to plug in to make it more impactful and it sounds cheap it sounds cynical but it's actually just showing this is how a story is constructed this is how a story can be told and it can be any story it can be composed of any aspects of several stories the emotion is still going to be the same you're going to have a beginning a middle and an end and you're all going to feel what it is because everything that we're showing is so simple really i mean it's 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 huge and it's spectacular but all of that bigness works to just deliver very very simple understandable emotions the noblest spirit and biggins the smallest man. Uh, Jeremy, I'm going to get you off the hook on that one because I, I think 
Well, I actually have a response. Okay, go ahead. Um, to get back to the show, um, you can't wa- get any emotion from a show that's closed for ten months at a time <laughs> because it isn't <laughs> because it isn't adaptable enough to be able to fix piece by piece. So the benefit of illuminations is if the inferno barge goes down, they run with the rest of the show. They can augment other lighting, and they've done that in the past. When Earth Globe was getting refurbished, they just adjusted the show it was maybe a bit shorter they uh, they augmented some lasers here so you because you have a modular show with many different pieces they can take a barge out they can drop a barge in if world of color crashes to the bottom of that lagoon bye bye world of color and then there's no there's no emotion so you need a show to run in order to have the emotion uh, illuminations has never been out of commission for such a length of time. So in the interest of time, everybody, I, I, I want to make my final verdict here. Because of, Dan, your argument was sound, and, and because emotion is so subjective, it's hard for me to be give an objective answer and decide what is better based on emotion, because that's, that's what these experiences are, right? And, and you kind of pointed out something about World of Color as a passive experience. It's just, it's simple, Right. It's a simple thing. Mm-hmm. You can just go and just enjoy it because you're f- almost forced to in a way, whether right. we like it or not. Whereas Illuminations is an active experience. It's an it's an active story that we have to follow and we have to pay attention to. And it's not just kind of shoved in our face. Mm-hmm. So I would say because of its detailed grand story and because it's so unique, it's one of a kind. It's for now anyway. Uh, it's it's one of a kind. It's a shared experience with everyone who's in the park that day. They can all finish the day together, and it's an act, active experience. I think that gives favor to Illuminations. Illuminations is the better second gate spectacular. All right. I Where's wow. my gavel? <laughs> well, and honestly, I, th- <laughs> I think that if Illuminations had – the, uh, the, the the skeleton, for lack of a better term, of World of Color that does occasionally break down, it would be presentationally everything that I'm not seeing from it. So I don't disagree with that. All right. Any closing statements? If World of Color Celebrate was so great, they would have brought it back like they did Disneyland, Disneyland Forever and Remember Dreams Come True. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> I just want to also uh, plug Shirley Temple Black, um, who is a fantastic performer. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have time for Stacy today. We have to push her back until the next time we went a little long. And uh, Illuminations is a fantastic experience. Hopefully, you can get to it before it ends on September 30th. And I. I firmly believe that the technology that world of color has is going to be replicated in epcot the ip is going to be there the miss screens are going to be there pyrotechnics are going to stay so i think a year from now we could have this conversation i think uh, world of color east is going to take it hands down because it's going to got it all and if you'll be in the park on that uh, infamous day of september 30th come find me i'm going to be there bring a handkerchief so if you liked this show Hopefully you can continue to tune in. If you have any opinions or, or points of fact or counter arguments to continue the discussion, you can find us on Twitter at The Supreme Resort. And you can contact us on the Ears Up Podcast Network at earsuppodcast.com. That's ears with a Z. And you can find us there. Hopefully you enjoyed this journey and we'll continue along our journey to decide which is the Supreme Resort. Tune in next time. Thanks, everybody. Say goodbye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.